Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about communicates to us in our 
where where we are, where we live, and where we are. And uh, hopefully, you know, we're gonna we're gonna recite this verse in several different uh, translations throughout the weeks and throughout the months. And you know, with the prayer that it's going to stick. So thank you, Jesus, for multiple translations that you give to us with so much uh, knowledge and uh, knowledge and resources available that we can really really seek your will and seek your and understand the purpose of your your word. So thank you Jesus again. So we have uh something that just just dropped like a bomb in into my lap today. And and this is this is a story that I picked out to talk about. Uh because it it does a such it's a huge story. I mean, it's just paragraphs and paragraphs. As a story that was written in the Rolling Stone under politics. Now, thankfully, it's under politics, and they didn't sideline it. I guess you know what they did side. They would have sidelined it if it was simply talking about pro-life issues, especially abortion. But since we're talking about how much they don't like it, that they don't like not abortion, they not like legislation that is written to insulate people with consciences against having to pay for abortions, hmm, it becomes a political issue. You know, I guess it depends on which side of the story you want to be on. So in Rolling Stone, their political section today, it, the title of this article is called The Stealth War on Abortion. Hmm, really? It reads, while more Americans support upholding Roe v. Wade than ever, the Tea Party and the Christian Right. Oh, really? Now we're talking about the Tea Party and the Christian Right. No. All right. Okay, going on. The Tea Party and the Christian Right have teamed up to pass hundreds of restrictions eviscerating abortion rights in GOP-controlled state legislatures across the country. And so that is probably, in a nutshell, the, the gripe. So what is this author, Janet Reitman, trying to really get at? Well, the one thing that I think is the thorn in her side about this is what we've talked about on this program before, the Abortion Insurance Opt-Out Act. And yes, we did talk about how this was a very important piece of legislation that many states were trying to pass, Michigan, uh, Michigan in particular passed it, uh, allowing people with consciences against using their taxpayer money or their Obamacare money or what, however you want to cut this, using their own funds to pay into an insurance system that offers abortion insurance uh, offers an insurance policy as part of the policy for everybody to pay for abortions in the case of rape or incest or you know whatever that the legislation comes up to to allow. Okay, so when we talked about this before, uh, I played a clip of my uh, friend Rebecca Keesling, who was arguing that it, you know it's not insurance that is a conscionable insurance. This is on a general policy in Obamacare as it exists right now, or what I like to call it, the Unaffordable Lack of Care and Patient Victimization Act. 
there is a general provision that the insurance companies that provide services also have to provide abortion services for women who have been raped. And who pays for all these insurance policies? The way it is constructed, we all do. We all pay for it. If you have an insurance policy, whether you are man or a woman, a child or an elderly person, or a person of childbearing age, if you have a policy and it covers abortion, whether you can biologically, physiologically have an abortion or not, you are paying for said policy. Where does the money go? Because this is, how, this is how abortion has always worked. Where does the money go that you pay for certain things that you're never going to have to use? Well, they, the funds that you pay in your premium for those procedures goes to pay for it for somebody else. That's how insurance works. So this gripe that a lot of people have saying, oh, you know, you're never going to be able to get an abortion. You're not going to get an abortion. How does this affect you? Blah, 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 blah. My dollars, that's how it affects me. My dollars goes to paying for a procedure to help somebody have a procedure that kills a human being, and I am totally against that. And so this article in the Rolling Stones is all about how the Christian right and the Tea Party have conspired in the legislatures to overturn and make this a separate issue so that women who might fear a rape in their future, who want, the, who want their insurance company, Obamacare, to pay for an abortion, will have to purchase a separate rider to pay for that abortion. Otherwise, you do what everybody else does and pay for your own abortion. This is seeking a third party. All this is is a reaction to, a, to, a, to the Insurance Opt-out Act that makes people seek a seek when if they want to seek the third party solution to paying for an abortion, to have them buy that policy separately from the, everybody else. So the gripe is, oh, I, we can't do that because you're, you're punishing women. You're punishing women. That's how the words they use. Okay, so um, let's read a little bit of this. Well, how, they, how, do they, uh, how do they talk about this? It's, it's, it's long and it's drawn out and it's, frankly, it is just inflammatory. So here, here they go. See, since, since here, here we go, here we go. Since 2010, when the Tea Party fueled GOP seized control of 11 state legislatures, bringing the total number of Republican-controlled states to 26, conservative lawmakers in 30 states have passed 205 anti-abortion restrictions, more than in the previous decade. <clears throat> so. What, you see, what you're seeing is an underhanded strategy to essentially do by the back door what they can't do through the front, says Nancy Northrop, president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Remember the Center for Reproductive Rights? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, baby. That was him. 
That's the Center for Reproductive Rights. They're complaining. Uh, they're complaining that state legislatures passing through normal legislative procedures, passing laws, that's what legislatures were created to do, that restrict abortion is somehow a back door. I don't see a back door because state legislatures are the front door. So I don't really know what she's talking about. Oh, and oh, you want a reminder of what what CRR is? Oh. Here we go. Hey, baby. Did you think I forgot? <laughs> I didn't forget. How could I ever forget our anniversary? All these years, so many people say we'd never make it. They've been trying to tear us apart, take you away, put limits on you, on me, on us. <laughs> but every time we've proven ourselves stronger, an anniversary like this is not something that you forget. No, 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 baby. It is something that you fight for. And that's oh, exactly what... No, no, no. No, 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 baby. You know, one of these days, I'm going to cut that up, and it's going to be hilarious. Moving on. Mm-mm-mm. Moving on. The legislature is the front door to every piece of law, every law that exists in the country. So it is not the back door. What she is trying to say, what Nancy Northrup is trying to say, is that Roe v. Wade, which is the back door, became the front door. So Nancy Northrup wants us to come at it from the rear end and call it, the front end. I'm sorry. I don't live in a backwards world like she does. Literally. So what you're seeing state legislatures actually do is pass laws with the backdoor Roe v. Wade court decision in the way. It is the 800-pound gorilla that, frankly, it's a 41-year-old gorilla that needs to die. She goes on to say, the politicians and organizations advancing these policies know they can't come right out and say they're trying to effectively outlaw abortion, so instead they come up with laws that are unnecessary, technical, hard to follow, which too often forces clinics to close. Things have reached a very dangerous place. Please. Oh, I mean the irony. The irony cannot be lost on you. Let me let me point this out. I don't know. I don't know if I can move on from this paragraph because this is how America gets played in this. Since the politicians organizing advancing these policies know they can't come right out and say they're trying to effectively outlaw abortion. I, I'm sorry. The 800-pound gorilla says. We can't outlaw abortion. That's what it was. It decriminalized abortion in the United States, whereas it was a criminal, act, criminal activity before. So I don't know what the point is that she's trying to make, that we're trying to, to we can't talk about outlawing abortion. Of course we can't talk about it. Nobody can. So instead, she says, they come up with laws that are unnecessary, technical, and hard to follow. Really? Laws that are unnecessary, like the laws that Kermit Gosnell, guilty of breaking, but that Terry McAuliffe has said 
uh, he will be a wall against those type of restrictions, a wall against any restrictions, laws that are unnecessary. What's a necessary law? I haven't heard one abortion advocate in the 41 years that abortion has been legal come out and say this and give an example of a necessary law against abortion. She says, laws that are technical and hard to follow. Really? Is it really technical and hard to follow to force abortionists to have to have uh, admitting rights at a hospital? You know, that was done because we want actual doctors that know actual medical stuff to be able to send patients to hospitals and not just have somebody drop patients off sight unseen, name unknown, so that hospital emergency staff don't know that a woman may be suffering from the, the difficulties and any injuries from abortion. Is that so hard to follow, to get your paperwork right, to get your stuff in order? Apparently it is, because in Texas, it closed down a couple of dozen of abortion clinics because people aren't willing, willing to cross their I's and dot their T's. And I said that, and said that um, on purpose that way. So don't think, oh, yeah, uh, uh. all right, because it, and, and, and it, she goes on to say, which too often forces clinics to close. Well, you know what? If that was the intent of the legislation, then go ahead and charge us guilty for intending abortion clinics to close. Because going back to the previous sentence, we're, tra we're effectively trying to outlaw abortion. Exactly. We can't talk about uh, abortion, outlawing abortion outright. But if we can make it so that nobody can do abortions, you're right. We're not going. We're going to do exactly that. It is a. We. Uh, this is a complete opposition to abortion. We're going to shut it down any way, shape, or form we can because abortion hurts women. Things have reached a very dangerous place, she ends up saying. Oh, really? An abortion facility is not a dangerous place? When women, women are being injured, constantly being injured, and they are dying, might I remind people of Tanya Reeves, who still has not gotten any justice, and she is, she is not alone. She was just the, one of the latest. Jennifer Morbelli was one of the latest, too. Women who have died as a direct result of getting an abortion because abortion doctors, abortionists, don't, aren't careful enough to keep them alive. They're going to city butchers to take care of a quote-unquote problem but they're going to end up dying with their quote-unquote problem, and nobody seems to care. How much more dangerous can you get? All right, so the article goes and talks about Wendy Davis. We have gone front end, back end, rear end, everywhere about Wendy Davis and how horrid her behavior is. 
trying to filibuster a bill that ends up saving people's lives because we want abortionists to take responsibility for the crap that they do. That's all. Wouldn't you want your own doctor to do the same thing? Of course you would. How's it going, Thomas? Hi, Leticia. Sorry I'm late. I was out getting <laughs> my clothes from storage. And I'm just packing and listening to your very accurate and thorough account. So, mm-hmm. Well, so, this, this is a very long article, and I, I just don't have time to sift through all of it. It's, it's atrocious. It is a tr- right. it is paragraph on top of paragraph of complete mischaracterization of people in the pro life movement. They throw in they throw in um, our good pro life neighbor Troy Newman into this, and he they quote him saying something, and they, of course they had to use it in a negative sense. But what he talks about in this article and. You know, I hope he's listening and he he understands that people don't read this and read it for what they're trying to say in the snarky way that they're saying it. But what what Troy Newman had been quoted in this article as saying is that he regrets some of the early ways that Operation Rescue tried to get people to, to, to walk away from abortion clinics. You know, in the very early days in the, in the 80s, and, and if you've been around, if you've been alive long enough to know, yes, um, in the early days of, of abortion clinic protesting, people would sit inside the clinics, block the entrances. They would, I, I don't know if they went so far as to push people out of the doors, things that I would right. not advocate doing today. He says, yes, I think it was unfortunate that we took, that people like, took that tactic back then because they weren't sensitive enough to know that abortion is a bigger issue than simply a woman just walks in to kill her baby. Now all we have to do, you know, all we have to do is keep her from walking in the door and everything will be okay. I think the pro-life movement has grown in that sense is that, no, we need to talk to, there, there's a human, just like there's a human being in the womb of that woman, that woman is a human being that we need to talk to. She has greater needs than what she thinks she's going to solve by getting an abortion. And it's those greater needs that pro-life people that are trying to prevent abortions from happening uh, need to address. Right. So he talks about he's he's just talking about that he hated that he talked about it and he says I hated that I don't want to have with pictures on the street just to piss people off I want to win right. and that's an admission right. that's his those are his words that's an admission that he's grown up from that and we all have right. you know it's easy to say we're going to go out there and we're going to wage a war against abortion not understanding if you know at the same you're not waging a war against abortion. You, what it ends up looking like is you're waging a war against people. And that's not well, the message that any pro-lifer wants to get across. We're not out there to battle against people. Right. You know, though, Leticia, sometimes 
It comes a point in time, and I've heard it said, and I've always resisted this, but sometimes in any battle, you have to take the same tactics and use, like, the, per- the whoever the author or the magazine that, that um, wrote this article. Now, we, on the other hand, could turn around and say, and, and put it like this, oh, so what you're saying is that your children are more important than these ladies who may or may not want abortions and then um, cite the statistic that says that 68% of all women, well, actually it's between 68 and 80% of all women who have had abortions didn't want them in the first place, or the other statistic that just came out a couple weeks ago that said one in four or 25% of women who have had abortions were either physically, emotionally, or sexually abused before they had those abortions. So then, you know, we could we could position it and pattern it in a way that says, oh, you feel that... Um, your children are more important than these women who might possibly want to keep their children as a source, not as a as a as a um, you know as a symbol of love to help them draw strength on, but because they were in a a tough circumstance, you get to decide that they're beneath you, so they deserve to die. They're based deserve to die. Is that what you're saying? And if we could pattern it in that way, basically shine the mirror back in their their faces, they will start shutting up or they'll give pause to some of the things that they do. Because the more more they do it, you just keep hammering the, the same, you keep hammering the same message and you force them to go on the defensive. Because no one in the pro-life movement has yet to ever make them go on the defensive. We have right. to start I, I shining right about the that. light. So I think you're right. I think you're right about not. You know, they've never had been called. They've never been called to the carpet to defend what they have to say. You know, they've only been allowed to attack people who are pro-life, and we exactly. don't call. We don't call their their arguments out at the point of that confrontation. You know, they, they're the ones that are saying, we're for women's rights. We're for rights, 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 rights. And then, therefore, by 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 their, actually, by their claiming that they're for rights, automatically you know, pro-life people are automatically against rights. We're anti-rights. We're anti-women. Well, who says who? Okay? Exactly. You know, I, why don't you let me speak for myself, since you like to speak. You know, since that, the other side likes to talk so much, they can share a little exactly. bit. Uh, you know, of course, being fair is not one of their strong points. <laughs> so you exactly. know, I don't really expect I don't really expect them to hand over the microphone. But you know, I'm I'm all for getting up and taking it from them because they don't deserve it in the first place. You don't you don't give exactly. in to bullies, and that's how that's how Roe v. Wade was passed. It's a legislative bully me- um, technique. And it's kept there through legislative bully techniques or court-ordered exactly. bully techniques. So, you know, I don't want to play that game anymore. Exactly. And you know what What usually happens 
when someone stands up to the bully? Oh, bully has no teeth. Bully doesn't do anything. And exactly. we've and we 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 showed that HB two in Texas showed that they have they don't have the backbone to stand behind what they do. Abortionists don't have the backbone to stand behind what they do lawfully. Right. They, all they want they want the blank slate. They want the gate wide open. But the minute you put a restriction on them and say all you got to do is make sure you have this line signed with your name on it and if somebody checks you off as being okay oh, it's all just paperwork they close up shop no accountability right. wanted we gotta right. take a break we'll be right back with um, with our guests and if you know they're not here yet we will keep talking because we've got plenty of things to say but we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back uh, thank you for listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio if you've got something on your mind call 760-542- 3907. We will be right back. Oh, hey, baby. Did you think I forgot? <laughs> I didn't forget. How could I ever forget our anniversary? All these years, so many people said we'd never make it. They've been trying to tear us apart, take you away. Put limits on you. On me. On us. <laughs> but every time we've proven ourselves stronger. An anniversary like this is not something that you forget. No, no. are back with more Pro-Life Fridays Radio on the True Radio Network. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the legislation and the treatment that 
even marginally pro-life legislation gets from the media. You know, nothing is good. Nothing is good. Nothing is good. It's a stealth war on abortion. Well, I would, re- I would repudiate that. It's not a stealth war. It's a front and center war. So sorry. Yeah, I'm not trying to sneak by anything. I'm just trying to whack you over the head with it. That's all. So, Thomas. Uh, yes, ma'am. Tell us. Did you think that the the gentleman that we w- were talking to last night who owned uh, the event stage that we had, because Thomas and I were at an event last night uh, with some fabulous, fabulous people, and I got into this wonderful discussion, and he just let me rant and rave and go on and on about, um, you know, legal abortion. Do you think that we changed his mind or moved him at any point? Because he looked really intense. Well... I wasn't really privy to your whole conversation, but from what I heard, he seemed, he looked pretty shocked at some of what you shared with him. So whether or not you changed his mind, you had an effect. You had a major effect. So why don't you share a little bit of the conversation, because I really didn't want to eavesdrop. (laughs) <laughs> but why don't you well, share a little um, bit of what was that? I well, I was uh, I was simply just having a conversation, uh, kind of impressing on him the the parallels between legal abortion and legal slavery in this country. And my greatest concern, you know, was not about is he going to understand the parallel, but mm-hmm. am I am I coming across as as somebody who just can't shut up about it and somebody who is just totally obsessed with trying to get him to see my point. Um, you know, these psychological things happen to me. But I think, you know, the reason why I am really concerned about um, when we talk to people is, is am I being, you know, personally, am I being understanding enough or am I just running my mouth? I think you do a, I think you do a good job. But whether or not some people may be already biased in their positions. So you never you you never know. But I think right. you articulate your position very well. All right. Well, some we have two gentlemen on the line today who um, do this on a regular basis. They do cold confrontation, and I, I know that sounds confrontation sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a some kind of c word, but I won't. You know, it's not. But it sounds like is because you're approaching total strangers um, in their most vulnerable point in their one of the most vulnerable points in their lives if they are going to an abortion facility, um, and you know anything can happen, and that's just what happened with two of our guests, Toby Harmon and Jeremy Brown. Uh, if you haven't know, seen the news, they were, uh, there have videos of them being attacked and punched and, and chased and pushed and shoved by uh, a man outside of an abortion facility. Um, and, you know, it's become a thing that people talk about, and certainly this has become a legal matter. So um, welcome to the program, Toby and Jeremy. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hi. Yeah, yeah. I, so to the, show, the reason I wanted to, uh, sorry, I didn't need to talk over you. <laughs> the reason no, I, okay. I, 
asked you on to, you both of you onto the program is because you were the you were the subject of this attack, and I'm not going to to call it anything other than attack because I, according to all the circumstances that are seen and plainly seen, you guys didn't do anything wrong, and somebody just came after you. Uh, so really quickly, could you tell us and for that portion of our audience that may not be aware of what happened to you, it's basically kind of what happened. Uh, and yeah, you can I guess pick I'll one, of, one of you to go first. Sure. Why okay, not, this why is don't Toby. You, uh, oh, that's great. Okay, um, so me and Jeremy were out there. Uh, I believe it was like a Tuesday morning, and that's uh, that's one of the normal days I go out, and Jeremy uh, oftentimes joins me. And we were, you know, we, we go out there and we like to share the gospel with people. Uh, we let them know that abortion is sin. We let them know that it's something that displeases God. Uh, but we also let them know that there's forgiveness and healing and hope in Jesus Christ. Um, and so you could call part of that agitation. With, there's two modes that abolitionists uh, carry out the work of abolition, and that's agitation and assistance. Um, naturally, uh, you know, preaching the gospel is agitational to those who are perishing. You know, that's what the Bible tells us. But we also offer assistance um, as part of the Abolitionist Society of Oklahoma. We have a newborn mission set up where we offer diapers, baby clothes, formula bottles, all kinds of newborn accessories. We also have a benevolence fund set up for women who are either post-abortive, pre-abortive, uh, had their child uh, because they decided to choose life. And so when we're mm -hmm. out there, we're not only preaching the gospel, we're also offering them assistance. Um, and so basically I had preached uh, the gospel from one, Psalm 139 for about, you know, five or six minutes. And this is about ten minutes before this young couple exits the clinic. Uh, and so I'm pretty confident they heard me preaching while they were inside. And when they came out, I called out to them and I said, excuse me, did you have an abortion today? We would like to offer you some help. Um, and the young lady was, was clearly crying. Uh, she was upset. And she turned and looked at us and said, uh, are you going to do this right now? Or she said, uh, you can't help me, something like that. And uh, I, I called out again and said, well, we'd like to help you. And at that moment, her boyfriend Wesley unzipped his coat and he began approaching us uh, at a pretty mm -hmm. fast-paced walk. And she said, stop it. I told you not to do this. You never listened to me. And he, he rushes Jeremy and he shoves him as hard as he can. Uh, Jeremy actually does a, a backward somersault into the street off of the sidewalk. Uh, at that moment, I, I tell Wesley that he's being filmed, that everything's being caught on camera that he needs to leave or he's going to be in trouble. And upon realizing that he's being filmed, he begins to pursue me so he can destroy the evidence of what he's just done. And uh, he actually grabs the camera off of my chest now. I have a GoPro that I, I wear on my chest. Uh, he mm -hmm. rips that off, throws it on the ground, stomps it with his boot. And at that moment, I, I pull out the other GoPro that I have, and I begin filming with that. And... Uh, I don't know if your viewers have seen the video that we put up on YouTube, but that's that's kind of where uh, the footage picks up is with the second camera, uh, seeing as how the first video did not record or didn't capture uh, the footage properly because I was unable, unable to push stop uh, mm -hmm. before he destroyed it. So, Jeremy, if you want to add anything, I guess. 
I was just going to say, I mean, our interaction uh, with this couple, I mean, was pretty amazing. Um, like, we see a lot of people at the abortion clinic and a lot of people that are just apathetic and cold. And um, when we get to talk to them, most people don't want to talk to us. They don't want to look at us. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the amazing thing with this couple was, like, Toby, like, said one of the most kind-hearted things he could have said. It was, like, it was a soft thing, and I hope we're able to retrieve that video because he literally told him, like, I mean, sometimes we do say abrasive things because we're dealing with these apathetic people that, like, are just coldly going in. And Toby, and so mm-hmm. sometimes we say hard things, but, like, this one couple, he says there's forgiveness for in Christ. And mm-hmm. it's, like... It was amazing, or I guess, and, and sad to see this couple, um, like, one of them break down into sadness and the other to, to turn to rage. Um, and it just shows, like, how clearly um, this is a sin issue. This is an issue that is affecting people's hearts and that they're truly convicted. And they need more right. than just the physical help. They need forgiveness in Christ. And the young man that like attacked us like he's going to need forgiveness for all that anger that he like released on us um and it's just a, like that kind of thing people are going every day to clinics right right to kill their children you um, know um and they need so, that forgiveness so what's that? and that's so so i i picked up a piece of audio that we're going to listen to in, in a minute um or a few seconds and what in which the girlfriend that was there uh, claims that you provoked the boyfriend to attack. So, you know, I mean, she claims that mm-hmm. you didn't hear, you know, what, what happened on before that. You know, did were there extra words that were exchanged? You know, did were was the boyfriend trying to, sh- was he shouting you down before he came out and or anything like that? I mean, before uh, the interaction occurred, like, there was little, very little, like, words exchanged. Like, it was like a they walked out, and the way the clinic is set up, like the cars are to the opposite direction. So they turned away from us. Toby says that about forgiveness. She says, mm-hmm. like, has her narrative, and then the guy, like, starts walking at us. There was, And that okay. was it. And then the next thing you know, or, like... Yeah, I would say I would also add... when they arrived? Oh, okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I can answer that question, too. Um, no, we actually got there after they had arrived, and we okay. the only time we saw them was when they came out. One thing I would add is she says that we provoked or instigated the attack, and I would just add that her definition of provoking or instigating would be that we called out to her or that we uh, let her know that, you know, we didn't approve of what she was doing. And so anyone that's that's okay. just had an abortion or is thinking of an abortion is, is probably going to view um, what any sidewalk counselor does outside an abortion clinic as, uh, you know, provocation or, or uh, some kind of instigation. So. Okay. And most well, of the people that some really that we interesting wanted... things. Yeah. Okay. One more time. Yeah. Most people. Is that right? Okay. Most of the people we interact with, even the ones that we have good interactions with, they normally start off a little rough. Even the people that do wind up thanking us for being there are a little uppity when we start. And I think there, like, mm-hmm. there is just a general stigma that we're not there to condemn or to okay. be mean. Well, uh, the, well, the girlfriend and her name, we find out, I mean, she claims that this, this woman who calls into the American Family Radio program claiming to be the, the girl, the girlfriend in 
this incident, and her name is Cindy, uh, kind of t- recounts a little recounts a little bit of what happened. This is what she Cindy had to say in about Oklahoma. It. Cindy, welcome to Focal Point with Brian Fisher. What's on your mind? I'm almost calling about the alleged attacker with yes. Toby Harmon. Okay, uh-huh. Well, I have a few questions for everybody who feels like they have an opinion on the situation. All right. If Toby Harmon is a peaceful protester and all that, why would he need to have three cameras with him instead of just one? Because that kind of seems like he's been in this position before. Two, Everybody's saying that he needs to stand up for himself, yet it's okay to be videotaping people coming out of the clinic doing their own personal business. Peaceful protesting, I didn't think would include saying that you're murdering your baby um, because the attacker was provoked from the time that he stepped out of the clinic, and I find it extremely convenient that they don't have that footage on camera. Now, when you say, uh, Cindy, that this, this assault was provoked, mm-hmm. are, are, uh, are you in a position to know that? Yeah, I am. I'm the one in, in the video. So you, you are the... That's my boyfriend. That you're, you're the girlfriend mm-hmm. of the guy that went after Toby Harmon. Yeah. So you, you were there when this thing was yes. going down. Yes. Well, uh, let me ask you this question, Cindy. Uh, what happened, to give you the chance to tell your side of the story, what happened when you came out of the abortion clinic, you and your boyfriend? Um, we came out to talk about our decision. I hadn't gone through with it yet. So the um, two of you, you, you had come out of the abortion clinic because you, you hadn't made a decision yet to go through with the right. abortion. You wanted to talk it over with your boyfriend, mm-hmm. and that's why you came outside the clinic. Let me ask you this, Andy, before we, before we go any further. Why were you hesitating about the abortion? number of reasons that I don't really think is anyone else's business. Well, I mean, you called us, I mean, Cindy, and you told yeah, us that... Yeah, say that there was more to the story, not on why I chose to get the procedure done. I understand, but I, I was just kind of curious. It, it, you know, you seem to be objecting to the the fact that Toby and his friend had a moral objection to uh, to abortion, but you seem to have some hesitation yourself about whether it's something that you wanted to do were any moral factors a part of your hesitation? Can you say that much? I the timing is not right. Okay, all right. I, I wasn't I, ready, and it wasn't fair for the baby. Okay, so what eventually did you decide to do? May I ask that? <clears throat> Excuse me. What What eventually did you and your boyfriend decide to do with the baby? We went through with it. Okay, did you? They actually helped me go through with it. Okay, uh, uh, so did you do it on the same day, or did you come back yep. a different day? Same day. So I you went, went right back in after the cops left and got it done. Okay. So you're saying that when you came out of the, the clinic that this assault was uh, provoked, that Toby and his yes. friend uh, provoked your boyfriend into the assault. How, how did they do that exactly? Well, from being on the other side, I don't understand why they are allowed to be videotaping people coming in and out of the clinic without consent of being recorded. We come out of the clinic to talk privately about our matter, and we have these two people as close as they can possibly be legally. And, and how, far, how, how far was that, Cindy? How far away were they? I mean, like 10, 15 feet. Okay, um, but, they, but 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 what you're but what you are saying is that 
they were as close as they could be legally. So what you're without being on the property, right? Without so, what, trespassing. So, so what you're saying is that they were obeying the law. Yeah, are you gonna let me tell my story? You're just gonna pick pieces apart. Well, and I'm not picking. Uh, no, 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 Cindy, hearing. Cindy, I'm I'm not picking it apart. Okay. I want you to be able to tell your story. Yeah. But I want. I also want. I also want you to be aware of some of the things that you're sort of admitting in the process I'm, of telling your story. I'm not denying any. It's on video. He attacked them, didn't he? Okay. All right, and, and I think that's. I think that's what we needed to hear. And um, it, it, the video goes on a little bit longer than that. Uh, to, or she admits a few more things. Uh, but I wanted to deal with <laughs> kind of what she had said. Um, now, it seems to me that with this audio of Cindy admitting that you had broken no laws, were not the aggressors, and were the victims, I mean, I mean, has an attorney heard this? I know this happened just yesterday, but it sounds like you have a confession. Yeah, I don't know if, the, if an attorney has heard that much, uh, I do know that because of the media coverage, which was kind of uh, one of our goals, that uh, the city has started taking notice. At first, as far as I know, uh, nobody had, nobody was definitely nobody was interested in the video footage, and I'm not aware that anybody had watched it uh, until that radio show aired, and then people started calling uh, by the hundreds, uh, maybe the thousands. Wow. I don't know, according to uh, according to the secretary. Um, of a conversation that we heard. Uh, she said that people had been on the phone all day fielding calls about it. Um, but uh, they, they are taking an interest in it now, and they have watched at least the, the video footage that we captured out there of the attack. And so they are taking it uh, a little more seriously now. Well, that's good, because I think when I talked to you last, you were saying that you had kind of reached an impasse that – uh, the, the police were not interested in looking at your footage, and they didn't want to press charges, and you were being pretty much forced to make a decision whether or not to pursue this as a as, you know, prosecution for this, which was kind of iffy, or mediation, which would set up a bad precedent. Yeah, basically, uh, and I'm, I'm still surprised by this, the police definitely were not interested in the video footage at the scene of the crime. They didn't take it into custody. There was no chain of custody with it. Uh, and when mm-hmm. I talked to, to mediation and was asking some questions, she said that the video wouldn't be considered because it was from an interested party and it had been in my custody and I could have changed it and, you know, so on and so forth. And I said, well, that's one of my concerns is that there was no chain of custody at the scene of the crime. Police right. knew there was video evidence. They actually stayed there for a few minutes while I looked for the, uh, the first uh, the SD card from the broken camera. Um, but they didn't seem interested in taking it. I actually emailed links to the district attorney uh, the next day uh, to the video footage, never heard anything back. The next week, uh, this young man actually comes back to the clinic and threatens us again, says we have 10 minutes to leave or else he'll break our camera again, have that on video. Uh, The police officer that arrived on the scene about 45 minutes after we called him that day asked me to send him the links of the video footage, and he would forward it to the prosecution uh, which I did, and I never heard anything back there as well. And so the message that I got from mediation uh, was that if I refused mediation, they would send it to the, to the prosecution and that they would decide based only upon what was in the police report on whether or not they would prosecute and that the video evidence would not be considered and that they could possibly throw it out altogether. But, oh, wow. Uh, 
after the media coverage, I think that that's kind of changed a bit. So I'm happy about that. Right. I definitely think that more information that's coming to light, especially if you have the have the the primary eyewitness come out and admit so much. Um, and, yeah, so, but yeah. but here's so I hope you know I want I want to conclude the legal portion and by saying you know what what you do whatever you decide I think um, you know we're going to follow closely. I hope the best uh, turns out for you that you get some justice out of this because I mean it does set a bad precedent. Um, the, yeah. The AFR guy goes on to say, because uh, he comments about this in a later clip that oh, I'm not going to play that for you, but he says that you know if if this doesn't have a you know prosecution doesn't go to prosecution doesn't go to trial, uh, it sets up a very bad precedent that you can get away with decking a a pro-life protester or whoever is out there trying to intervene with people that are getting an abortion. You can have one free punch and walk away. Uh, and yeah. and nobody will do anything about that. So definitely, yeah, there's more more at stake than you know just an altercation. Sure, and and us pursuing this like we are has absolutely nothing to do with vengeance or trying to get back at the guy at all. But it is like what you said mm-hmm. to set a precedence that you know abolitionists and pro-lifers. Uh, cannot be outside clinics and just be attacked and get a slap on the wrist and, you know, maybe have to, to pay for the damage of their camera, but no criminal charges uh, come of it. And so we think it's important that that, is a, that precedent is set, that you will be prosecuted if you attack somebody outside the mm-hmm. abortion clinic. So. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, keep us posted on what's going on with that. You know, I, I hope things – I hope the law turns out – turns up for you instead of uh, what's happened to you. What can happen is that they would decide to ignore you altogether, and we hope that doesn't happen. Um, now, I, I have some pretty difficult questions, but I believe okay. that your intentions were for the good of the three, uh, now two, individuals mm-hmm. you encountered. Um, do you think that they were at all opening to dis- open to discussing you know, the potential abortion decision with you or, or anyone else out there, you know, concerned with intervening on their behalf? Do you think, you know, at the time they stepped outside, do you think they might have been open to talking? Uh, I'm, I mean, that's really hard to say. Um, most, you know, I was assuming she was post-abortive at the time. Most post-abortive women are not going to be interested in talking, um, and most people going into the clinics are not interested in talking. Just like most people who are living in their sin are not interested in hearing the gospel, yet we're still commanded to proclaim it, we're still commanded to expose evil, and we're still commanded to hold back those who are headed towards the slaughter, even if you know it's they're not going to be open to hearing what you have to say. Most of the fruit that we that ha- that comes from being outside the clinic is not necessarily there or ever seen by the person out there, you know trying to hold them back, but we hope that maybe years later after, you know, there's this great weight of guilt upon the woman for what she's done and she's just, you know, being eaten up by it, that she will remember that there is forgiveness and hope in Jesus and uh, repent of that sin and and find restoration and redemption, uh, not only from the sin of abortion, but from all of her sin. 
Right. So you, you assumed that did she did you assume like I think you said something about you thought when she stepped outside that she had already had an abortion. So did you were you kind of assuming that she did and talking of talking to her uh in that mode of assuming that she had already had an abortion? Yeah, I did assume that she had because she was crying and uh you know, it almost looked like she was kinda of limping too. I don't know. She she says that mm-hmm. she hadn't had it yet on, on the radio program. Right, uh, and I, right. I think I kind of believe that because they did hang around a long time after the incident, uh, and they were still there when we left. And so okay. it, they must have been there to, to, to have the procedure. But, uh, you know, I, I called out and offered help. And the help that I assumed mm-hmm. I would give her was to let her know there was forgiveness in Christ for what she had already done. Uh, but if she hadn't done it yet, I mean, obviously there was more help we could give her. So. Sure. Well, um, do you think what happened between you and them influenced their final decision? You know, because at the end of the clip, she, you know, she went admits that she went ahead with the abortion. Do you think that anything that happened, you know, that I mean, it was a big deal. But do you think that influenced their decision at all? Uh, Jeremy, you want to take that one? I, I have something to say as well to that. But Jeremy, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not really sure, um, like, what our incident did to contribute to what decision she made. Um, I do think, like, that her conscience, like, that she doesn't have any excuse now. Um, Like, I mean, she was told beforehand, like, she really did go have the procedure after that. Like, we were there to proclaim to her not to do it, and she did it. And, like, I don't think she, like, she's more culpable now than she was before we talked to her. And that's the, kind of the way I see that. I, mean, I don't know if that yeah. answers your question or not, but well, uh, I, I would also I would also just add that you know, according to Scripture, everybody's responsible for their own sin, and each one will be held accountable for their own sin. And I, I I'm pretty pretty confident it had nothing to do with the fact that we offered her help or that uh, you know we asked if she had had the abortion. Um, it was actually her boyfriend that, that created the big scene by coming over and attacking us uh, that that kind of made the whole thing look like a mess. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if he wouldn't have attacked us and she would have ignored us or maybe came over and talked and heard what we had to say and the help that we had to offer, um, possibly there would have been a different outcome on her decision. Uh, but, again, uh, everyone is, is certainly responsible for their own sin. She won't stand before God on Judgment Day, you know, if she doesn't repent before that time. And she won't be able to say, well, you know, I wouldn't have killed my baby if, if those guys wouldn't have asked me if I did and if they wouldn't have offered me help. So, Yeah, and, and I agree with Toby. I mean, I think Wesley really did compl- com- complicate the situation. And instead of, like, being helpful and, like, a loving man to his woman instead he like and i think i think a lot of what we saw in that was like him trying to like protect her from us kind of thing and him trying to like do that but i mean he really could have helped the girl and like and provide for that child or let her to talk to us one other thing Um, also with that um on, on the radio show of the clip that you played I think it was that, or it may have been when she was interacting with us on Facebook the other day on the Abolish Human Abortion Facebook page. She came on there under an alternate name. 
Um, she did make an admission that uh, she had told her boyfriend she didn't want to be harassed by the protesters. And it sounded like she was saying, like, I'm sure Larry Burns, you know, or whoever takes the calls, I think his wife is the secretary there, I'm sure they warn the people that there are protesters there when they come. It looks like most of them expect to see people there. Um, And so she had told her boyfriend beforehand, apparently, that she didn't want to be harassed by anybody or any of the protesters. Uh, And so it it would seem like he probably uh, had already planned that if somebody had said something, that that's what he was going to do. Uh, especially because she says, I told you not to do this. You never listened to me. And so okay. it, it seems like that, he had kind of planned to do that. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, what goes through your mind is, I guess, as you replay this day in your head about what happened and what was said and how things might have turned out differently, um, do you think things could have turned out differently? Uh, you know, I, I guess they could have um, if if he wouldn't have reacted that way. <laughs> if uh, he well, wouldn't have let his course. anger get the best of him. Um, one thing that I might have changed is as he was attacking us is maybe just be proclaiming the gospel at that very moment. Uh, and that, that was a lot. You know, that was some of the suggestions that people had given me. Man, you should have been preaching to him as you're backing up. Which uh, I wish I would have done that, but. Other than that, I don't know. Yeah, that, I don't uh, know if that's that going to happen. Totally. It was all up to him, really. Yeah, I mean, it was all up to him. Uh, I wouldn't have changed anything that I had said when they come out. Certainly not that. Uh, I don't know what else I could have said other than we're here to help you. I mean, you know. So. I, I really hope right. that we, I mean, that we're able to retrieve the video from beforehand because I think it looks sure. crazy. Like right now, it currently looks crazy, like what's going on there, and that there's this crazy madman like attacking people. I think if people can see the context of, like, what led up to that, it's going to be even more. Like, it, it's pretty crazy how they responded um, to such a soft message. Um, and and right now the only people that know that are us and them. But I think we're, we're trying okay. to get that video uh, retrieved. And it's not because we're trying to hide anything. It's like the video was damaged and it's taken time to get it fixed. So Yeah, there's so- actually a guy in Europe who is a uh, – is working on it, and he is confident that he's going to be able to get some of that footage to us. He's traveling right now, but he'll be back at the end of uh, end of the week. And uh, his claim is that he's gotten 19 seconds from that original video. So hopefully that is uh, oh, is the well, case, yeah. and we can get that. And, and we'll get to that. We'll, everybody will get to see. Everybody will get to see what yeah. what was the provoke that was brought mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Go ahead, sorry. Well, I wanted to get a little bit more specific about, you know, what a soft message. You're you're just basically you had said, you know, you can be forgiven for whatever happened, you know, if you aborted yeah. your child. You can be forgiven. Um yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people have this impression that, that you were I mean, she had almost said, uh, later on in that video clip or the audio clip that uh, you were screaming and then she took a ba- took it back. Um, Right, and she she says that you weren't screaming, but you were speaking loudly. Um, And I am just looking at it from from you know not having been there. um, I think there's a lot of room for a a lot of discussion. You know, I'm surprised that uh, that 
the internet hasn't really exploded over this this controversy. Uh, you've gotten a lot of phone calls, I understand, but you know I can really see people trying to pick apart um, your approach to people. And here's what I I think you know I have a perspective about that, but here's what I think they're going to say is that you know even if you didn't provoke them. Um, this is probably you set yourself up for this type of thing, and you probably should expect more. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know how. How do, you know? Does that ever cross your mind that maybe the approach actually sets you up for that? Well, I would just point to the approach Jesus took with people, and we know that he was the perfect man. He was, you know, the God man. No, he never sinned. He never made a mistake, and he was crucified for the way he approached people and the things that he came and said and did. So we really can't expect anything less than that if we're preaching Jesus and him crucified. Uh, he actually says that the world will hate you because it has hated me first. And so, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we can present him crucified in, in the best possible way that we can, but I don't think we can expect anything different than what they did to Jesus. Sure. And uh, you know, I understand you spend time at the abortion facility being missionaries uh, of Christ and trying to save babies at the same time. And I really get that, and I don't disagree, and I'm totally with that. Um, and I yeah. can appreciate the work of missionaries, because without them, I might not be a Christian today. But what I've learned from missionaries is when they enter a context that is different than their own, which is mm-hmm. – which is. They learn the language and they meet people where they are at their point of need. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would I would kind of ask if your softer message or your softer language um, might even be a little more, uh, a, a, I guess, more meeting their needs than talking about their abortion and and their indecision at the same time. And so, you know, I, I can understand you want to talk about Jesus. And I would want you to talk about Jesus, too, all day long. Yeah. Uh, but when they're not ready to hear uh, that from where they're standing, you know, should we take mm-hmm. a longer approach to get to the Jesus, you know, being able to say Jesus? Yeah. You know, yeah, well, I mean, can I oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I was go ahead. Say, one of the things that we really are trying to do and we understand this, is that the abortion clinic really is like the last line of defense against abortion, and that a lot of the people we talk to aren't going to turn back from having abortion. That statistically, that's just true, and just the way that mm-hmm. people deal with sin. Like, we are going to see some people turn, but the majority of the people aren't going to turn there. And so we go to the abortion clinic to offer forgiveness and to tell people not to do it. But in reality, our fight isn't one that's at the clinic. Our fight is going to be one that's in our culture, that's going to be happening at school campuses, high schools, universities, um, and in the public domain, places like Facebook and, like, talking to your neighbors. Like, that's where we're going to have all these conversations with people that are going to prevent people from ever going to the clinic. Like, we're at the last line of defense when we're at the clinic, but we got to start in our culture in re-educating people about how there are these image bearers of God being destroyed right across town, and you don't even know about it. Like, so we understand, like, it's not very, it doesn't, we don't see a lot of success at the clinic. We also know that's where we're not going to win the battle against abortion. Yeah, and that's that's exactly, you know, what I would say as well. Great answer, Jeremy. One thing I would add is that 
the greatest need of those women outside that clinic is to know that the lies they've been told from the culture that they've believed or that they've told themselves in order to justify their abortion, they do need to know that abortion is sin. They do, do need to know that, uh, you know, they are enemies of God, and they do need to know that Jesus Christ is the only way uh, to avoid the penalty of sin, to be forgiven of sin, to be freed from sin. Uh, and oftentimes I tell them, you know, Jesus, you know, one of his promises to his, to his followers is that they, if they seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will provide all of their needs for them. And, you know, a, a lot of times they're there because they don't think that they have the financial means or the emotional means uh, to be able to care for a child either at their age or maybe they have a bunch of children already or their husbands just left them. Uh, but I let them know, you know, the Lord promises to take care of those who are his. And so the message of Jesus is their greatest need outside that. Yeah, amen, amen to that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that totally. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, coming on the program. I really appreciate your time and for, you know, spending this time to explain your side of the story and, you know, your position when it comes to, you know, how to how to deal with uh, those that are, and going in and out of abortion clinics, I think that's I think that's been a really helpful to, to kind of understand your perspective on that. So I want to thank you again for coming on and uh, being Thanks part of the show. Thanks for letting us come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah come back again. All, All right. right, have a good night, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, you do this. And morning. we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back with a switching gears a little bit and talking about a new film that is coming out next week. It's got a super, super famous, I guess, actress on it. I think you're going to be really interested in listening to uh, just the trailer and the promos. We'll be right back right after this. If you have any questions, call 760-542-3907. We'll be right back. We are back. 
Wow, that was uh, that was actually very instructive. I think I learned a lot from our guest from from Abolish Human Abortion. Um, I think I love having dialogues like that because you learn and you pick up so much, um, even if you don't agree. There wasn't everything about what they said that I agreed about, um, I guess, in, in perspective. In perspective, I didn't agree with a lot of, some of what they said about their perspective. But I can respect, you know, how they, how they look at their role and what they're trying to accomplish. And a lot of it is really just very nuanced positions. You know, theologically, you know, we're all Christians. We are. I mean, I am. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely say that this is a Christian program, and these are Christian people that we have asked on our program, and that I, we identify with the body of Christ and with um, his teachings very, very closely. And I don't have a problem with their understanding of the gospel and what they're aiming to do. Um, I think there's, there's been some disagreement over the way they do that. And I can see that too. I can see the disagreement. There is an, I, I think we all have what we think is the best way to go about battling abortion. And I think we can have those disagreements. I really hope that those disagreements don't uh, end up hampering or being an obstacle to the final goal, which is to end abortion, which is to to lift people up out of this ideology, uh, this pro-abortion ideology, this, this demeaning of human value, and really instill people in, in making abortion unthinkable, like we did with slavery. Like slavery is unthinkable. I think that is the final goal as far as abortion is concerned. And, you know, I really, it pains me to to hear when conflict over these ways of how to do this best becomes a point of division. And I know that you, Thomas, are really, um, you are really, that really aches your, your heart too when you see division of this kind over something that isn't really, um, isn't really, yeah, I don't want to, at the same time, okay, you know, I don't, at the same time, I don't want to, to diminish disagreements that are significant, that are uh, about bigger issues than this is the way we do things. Um, right. But, if, but if, if the common goal is to make abortion unthinkable in this country, I think there's a lot more that we can, uh, a lot more leeway we can give each other in that context. Right. I, I think you're right. And I, um, I just wanted to add. I just, I just wanted to add because, you know, I don't want. I know there's been a lot of hostility, and and I don't know if our listeners are aware of kind of this the behind the scenes Twitter wars and Facebook posts and all this stuff. Unless you track this very closely, which I do not on purpose track closely. I don't want to air people. I don't want to see people's underwear, and I don't want to see the claws come out. I don't want to see them bare their fangs. I just don't want to see that. I don't need to see that. But there is significant division among those right. who are opposed to abortion. Some of it is is understandable. Right. Some of it, most of it, however, is not. Right. A lot of it has to do with, I think you're a jerk. Well, I think you're a jerk. Well, I think you should say things differently. Well, I think you should say things differently. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is is on that level. 
Go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> so you know, here's here's I wanted to I, I did not want to to throw this in their face as as far as I didn't want them to interpret that I was accusing them of anything. But what they said in response uh, to their attitude about what to do in, when they're in front of people at an abortion facility, I think really, right. really telling. Let me, let, me, let me tell the audience this way. Um, I think that approach is very different than the approach that I have been in, in the tradition of how to conduct sidewalk counseling with people that are walking in and out of abortion facilities. The philosophy of right. going out there, what you're trying to accomplish, is very different. You know, they're very upfront about it. They're there not for the sake of the people walking in and out. And they admitted that. Their primary goal of changing the face of abortion has nothing, well, I shouldn't say nothing, has less to do with the point of contact at abortion facilities than, you know, what they do on the Internet with their posters and their media campaigns. What they do in front of the abortion clinics, admittedly, this is what they admit, is to throw the message out there. They do offer help, but it isn't their first concern. It isn't their first right. concern. And that's where I would say it's flipped for me. I wouldn't say it's that I don't call a media campaign unimportant, but when I'm, ta- I'm looking into the eyes of girls and women that are walking into that death trap, I can't say you are a means to an end. You're just, you know, a part of a greater campaign to end abortion, but you're not really important in and of yourself. As that right. I'm going to throw out the gospel. I mean, I ask them specifically. Um, you know, if you're going to be a missionary for Christ, wouldn't you throw out the kind of line that, that would make them grab that? Uh, maybe if it's right. longer, instead of just, you know, throwing Jesus at them, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the one, sorry, I'm not going to be the one that says you can't say Jesus, all right? So anybody who's listening here, you know, from Abolish Human Abortion, that says, you know, I sh- I, I'm telling people to put Jesus out of the picture, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, is there a, a long, if they need to walk a longer road to get to Jesus' name from where they are to, to, to understanding and comprehending and really having the gospel message make an impact in their lives? If they have obstacles between them and Jesus' name, you know, would you walk that line to go all the way out there to remove those obstacles first? You know, I right. would. I think they admitted that that's not what they're supposed to, that's not their point. That's not their purpose. I think they admitted that in so many words. It's not their purpose. And that's where I would disagree. Well, and Leticia, one of the things that you that you have to understand and remember, most most people in the pro-life movement, even even those with good intentions, most people in the pro-life movement fully understand the root cause of abortion. What the whole, the single abortion, you know, the single purpose of it. You know, we want to focus on, you know, killing. it's killing babies. Yes, but it's also... 
it's more it's more than that. The single solitary issue of abortion is to eliminate entire people groups. But the problem is, you know, nobody wants to nobody wants to address that aspect because that is really too controversial. You know, even in the pro life movement and we've had this conversation, people in the pro life movement don't wanna don't wanna talk about that because oh you're you're playing a race card. Of course you're playing a race card. That's the whole that is the whole total that's the whole total um purpose of it. When you have a former abortion clinic worker, my friend Brenda Pratt Schaefer worked at an abortion um in um Dayton, Ohio. When she tells me that it was rare for a white woman to come into the clinic and get an abortion, come on, y'all. Right. This is what I, I'm I saying. See. Okay. Yeah, I see. I know that there is there are many facets to this bigger picture. Um, I, I think I think that I think the issue of abortion is really, really, it's this big, ugly monster with lots of lots of tentacles. You know, one of them is 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 genocide. The and another one is gender side, and another one. You know, we can go down the line. You know, the legal abortion has made real all these things here in the America, in, in the United States and wherever it's legal. Um, but what I'm saying is that when we go out to sidewalk council individuals My, who are walking into hold on, hold on. the abortion clinic, let me, it's let, be me about let me let me. Right, right, and that I was actually going to make my point in that, in that if you understand what the purpose of the purpose and intent behind abortion, then position to have more compassion for these women because, as we quoted earlier in the show, Six, between 68 and 80% of women who have abortions didn't want them in the first place. So so it's a whole other dynamic. You're, you never know when you're dealing with someone that was forced under extreme pressure, whether it was from a boyfriend, her family, or whoever, to go get that abortion. So we have to be... We really have to be mindful, as you're saying, Letitia, and I'm I'm agreeing with you. We have to be mindful of those women. Yes, the sin, the the we know abortion is sin. We know that there is no denying that. But see, here's one little thing you forget: Jesus also died for the sin of abortion on Calvary, and. We do have to do have to meet people where they are. If you want to be an effective evangelist for Jesus Christ in whatever arena, because even in marketplace ministry, when you're in your workplace, if you're being effective with how you treat people, your messaging, whatever, you will be a greater witness for Christ. And that's what it boils down to, people. Because let me tell you something: I have three siblings that I that I will never know. 
one from a miscarriage three months before I was conceived, and two, two siblings that my mom were told that were cancerous growths in her uterus. Right. So she was post-abortive and didn't even know it. So, so how do you deal with those individuals who had abortions performed on them, on them, and they didn't know their babies were being right. killed? Right. You see what I'm saying? So we we have to be careful in how we attack these women. And this is why Pro-Life Friday's radio, we have a standing policy. We do not attack or condemn or put down women who who have had abortions. Even that young lady who was being begged, uh, about six, seven, eight months ago, that beautiful black girl who was pregnant with 20 weeks pregnant with the twins, and she had to leave the clinic. She mm-hmm. paid $2,600, folks, to have her two twins aborted, right. $1,300 per twin. There were people outside that clinic begging her to let them adopt her children. But they didn't condemn her, even though there were people in the pro-life movement that did. I read some of the I read some of the stuff that was said about her, and it disgusted me. Yeah, I I think most of the time, most of the time, we do have to look at at women who are who do have abortions. Um, They are the victims of some other other wrong done to them. You know, and then they go on and make a terrible choice, and they don't do right. it maliciously. I think that's what I think that's what you know. The problem is that we think that women are are maliciously murdering their own children instead of reacting out of some sense of fear or desperation. That is ninety nine point nine percent of the case. Now, I do make, right. I do, I do, and I will. And hear me very clearly. Do make a, this allowance. For that very small portion of women who do, there I don't want to say it doesn't exist because it does, who do abort exactly. maliciously, they do. And you know, I'm with everybody who says who condemns that because that is an issue. I mean, that is that is an issue that they will have to de- women that do that have to deal with guys. They but you know, exactly. I can't say I can't get into their mind and say. You aborted your child maliciously. Therefore, God is going to judge you for that. You know, if you die tonight, I know that you're going to go to hell. I can't say that. And I don't believe that. I don't believe it the way that's being said. Right. But I right. do make that's allowance very for, for the fact that there are women who abort maliciously with zero conscience. Right. But, I, but because of the minority of that, I'm not going to treat everybody like that. I'm not going to treat everybody like that because most of the women are not like that. And I can't, I can't, just like we make, just like we argue about abortion laws, you know, the legality of abortion. It makes no sense to make abortion legal for, in the case of rape and incest, make it legal because a woman who has been raped to make it legal for everybody. That is bad law. That is bad law. And so in this case, for those minority of women that do abort with malicious intent, I can't therefore treat all the ministry toward 
women who might abort their babies and treat them like that one woman out of a thousand who would do that. Right. Or I don't even know. I don't. I don't know what the statistics are for those who would abort maliciously. I don't think people keep those things. Uh, you know, God knows. God knows those women's hearts. But I can't right. say because they they're out there. I treat everybody like that. That's not fair. Right. Exactly. So exactly. so I want to switch gears. I want to switch gears and bring on our guest, uh, who's here to talk about a really. Very interesting film. I, I mean, I really think it. I listened to the trailer, which you're going to hear in just a second, uh, of Vanessa Hudgens, probably one of the best performances in her life. Now, if you know who Vanessa Hudgens is, you're probably thinking high school musical, shallow teenage movie with very little need for good acting capability. She actually has a huge role as the main character in Give Me Shelter, highly emotional, psychological, very difficult character to play. I mean, this is very high drama. She does a superb job in the trailer that I've seen so far. Um, and so I'm going to welcome my friend, Jen. Hey, Jen. Hey, I'm here. Hey, thank you for hanging on there for such a long time as we jabbered on. Uh, you, I asked you to come on the program to talk about the Gimme Shelter movie. So uh, if it's going to open next week, tell us a little bit about it. Did I lose you? Jen? Well, I, we're going to work out some technical issues there. Um, let's please listen to the trailer for the movie. Okay. It is... Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Do, do we get you back? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. Um, I think I went on mute. Um, accidentally. Are you there? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, Gilman Shelter, it's a story of Apple, and uh, it takes um, her through sort of her uh, journey um, with her mother, and um, she's in an abusive relationship with her, drugs and poverty, and um, and it just takes her on this journey where she uh, seeks out her father, who sh- whom she's never met, and um, she ends up in a desperate journey and ends up forced on the streets um, and uh, ends up at a teen uh, shelter, a pregnancy teen shelter. And um, over the course of all these events, and it is a really... Um, just the story is just so powerful. I can't even. I, both the actresses that play um, the mother and daughter are fantastic. Rosario Dawson is the mother, and Vanessa Hudgens, of course, is the main character. And they just completely transform themselves in this film, and um, it almost you, you cannot recognize them almost. And um, just really uh, show how, uh, how how I've you know been following your discussion there, and um, it really kind of delves into um, the reasons why somebody who you know would be caught in in a um, unplanned planned pregnancy um, <clears throat> would find themselves in this you know desperate state and. 
okay. we don't always know where they come from, you know, where they're going and and um, and why they end up in those situations. And it's just so powerful. I um, I viewed this last Sunday, and um, there's two things in the movie that really stuck out, and I think that it's across the board. It's it's good for pro-lifers to go see, but it's also going to be huge because, um, you know, Vanessa Hudgens has a huge, huge fan base. And um, there's so many people that are really excited about the film based upon that. So I think it's going to be big in, in that respect. And people are going to see two things that I think, for me, stuck out in the movie. Um, one of them was it puts you right in the heart and soul operations of a pregnancy center and mm-hmm. it gives you that view of who they are and how they really treat the mothers and you know the situations that they're in um that they're there to help them um that they're you know uh emotionally financially all those ways um and then the second thing is uh you know we have all these um things right now on on the fight uh, in the mm-hmm. legal sense of um, ultrasounds. You know, those are the forced ultrasounds, you know, um, debate. And uh, that there's, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole description, but basically that's going to be shown um, as an important influencer in the movie. And so those two things alone are huge because, um you know, those are the two things that when I'm following social media or, or you know, Planned Parenthood or whatever, right. you know, they always talk well, about those two things. Okay. Well, let's play the trailer, and then we can go on and talk about uh, when, when and where people can see the film and a little bit more of the important aspects. Sure. When I was eight, I was taken away from my mother when she was arrested for drugs. By the time I was 12, I was in my 10th foster home. And all that time, that letter was the only thing I ever got from you. Dad, I need a place to stay for a little bit. It's clear that you are not ready to assume the responsibility of motherhood. I opened my home as a shelter. Hey, everybody. Example. Your mother will not give her consent for you to be here. She will never let me go. No, no. You don't know what I wanted out of life. Look at me now. I deserve a second chance. I am done being passed off as someone's case number. I want out of the system. It's okay now. I've got you. It's crazy how you can go and live with strangers and feel like your family. Uh, 
I, I watched this trailer. It, it actually, the audio that we can only play here on radio, radio doesn't do the trailer justice. There is, it is a visually very great. I mean, they have done a top-notch job with the costuming, with the realism, kind of giving the movie a very raw street, you know, street raw flavor because, you know, she spends, the main character, Apple, spends so much time uh, running and in, you know, in in shelters and on the street. And she looks like she's very, you know, she just looks like she's messed up. <laughs> and I think it's based on a real person, right? Yeah, it's based on a true story, yes, and a, and a shelter as well, a true sh- shelter. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the lady that runs this shelter. I know her, her first name is the, the the name that they give in the movie, Kathy. Um, so she actually is portraying a real person. Uh, mm-hmm. The lady, the owner of the uh, shelter, the runner of the shelter, is um, she's portraying a real person. So this is uh, it, it's reality, and um, and you just get a glimpse of who these girls are. You get a glimpse of what the pregnancy center does, um, and just all the different variables of that, and um, and how how people respond to each other, and how they react to those situations. And it's just it's amazing. I think it's going to be really really powerful for everyone that attends, and you know teens group you know groups uh, youth groups, I think should go and see this movie. Um, it's not there, there are some big. There are some actually big name actors in this movie. Yes, Brandon Fraser, Rosaria Dawson, Vanessa Hudgens. Um, yeah, it's just I, and, I can't and even. That really, that really low voice that we heard like two two seconds or less of. Isn't that yes. James Earl Jones? That oh is my him. goodness. Yes. So yes. they really did pull in tons of talent for this yes. film, and uh, I am excited. I am really yes. excited, actually. Right, and it's none of the, you know, the whole hesitation of, oh, you know, uh, I don't want to see it because it's not good quality, none of that. You know, that throw mm. that out the window because, you know, this is just like top-notch, I mean, just, uh, it has the right amount of, you know, just intensity at the right time, the right amount of, you know, heart at the right time. And um, there's so much, you know, like like she is messed up at the beginning and she isn't at the end. And you see that healing that comes through that, you know. And mm. um, and I think that's, it's, I, I, I cried through the whole thing. I, that, I was so emotional watching it and um, it, 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 going to touch a lot of people's hearts and minds for sure wow so i mean what at the end is it supposed to be about you know finding a life outside of her abusive situation and finding a a community outside of her situation i mean i I don't know if i'm not going to give it away i don't want to give it away yeah yeah you know it's the I'm assuming, though, that there's a happy ending. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and I think for the most part is, you know, um, really it's about 
apple-finding family. I mean, that's exactly how I would, you know, sort of wrap up the movie, you know, um, in one sentence because, uh, you know, she's not sure where she fits in. Um, mm-hmm. She's trying to, She's she loves her mother, but, you know, there's trouble there, and she loves her father, but there's trouble there. Um, you know, she has no she has no home and I think that's mm-hmm. the main you know for all of us really but it, in the sense of someone who you know is lost I mean go and and really the Jesus story you know we're we're all lost and we're all trying to find our home and so it's that redemption quality of of you know the it's it's the story of apple just finding home mm-hmm. right that's how I would um, say yeah what? And, what are critics likely to say about this movie? And I don't mean like movie critics. I mean critics, because we've we've been here before with a lot of pro-life films, and not aside from the quality, uh, which you know I will admit that you know people people have tried, and and it's that's all it's gotten is a try. But I mean, mm-hmm. as far as content and message, are people? Are people in the general public going to like this film, or are they really going to see a message that kind of grates against the popular culture? Um, that's it's difficult to really to really see um, where they can't. I, I mean, you know, I've. Um, I promoted other movies for this company that um, is is promoting this one, and I've seen some of their other the movies that we had, and not not to say that any of them weren't good quality as well, but this is like <clears throat> this is like a blockbuster compared to the mm-hmm. other ones that I've seen, um, and I think you know be, besides the quality of the picture uh, and the you know the rawness of the acting itself. I think the message is going to be conveyed in in, in the proper way. As far as people taking it uh, a certain way, I don't know. I think they're going to take it for what what it's worth, but I think um, they're going to be a little anger, ang- angry towards um, towards the message um, because it's. Mm. The things that it, it points out, um, it, it's going to be very um, damaging I, for the pro-choice community. Um, okay. They're not going to like it at all uh, because it shows quite a bit of, of of our side of it. You know, I mean, it does mm-hmm. really um, show the compassion that's behind our uh, the pro-life heart and movement. And um, it shows uh, it shows the healing that's hap- that can happen um, when someone you know finds themselves in the, those communities that are helping them and they're you know pers- purposefully reaching their hand out towards them and mm-hmm. um, and then you know showing some of those like I said there's you know the ultrasounds and um, and you know. I you know I can't say any more, but it's going to instigate a little a little bit you know on that end. Um, but 
I, I think quality-wise, I think people are going to really praise it. Um, you know, and, and in fact, the acting itself, I think, is going to garner um, some, you know, eyebrow lifting. I'm not sure if they're going to get, you know, Oscar-worthy, um, you know, accolades or, you know, um, anything like that, but I think there's going to be a lot of attention drawn to that because um, of the of the actors themselves transforming themselves. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be um, the, one, the things that draw, not only draw people towards it, but are going to be the things that are being, you know, going to be talked about afterwards. And um, so I don't, I think the critics are going to go probably towards saying that it was, it's such a pro-life message that, you know, um, and, and, you know, and then say whatever they want to say about that. But, um, okay, yeah. but yeah, so that's what I kind of think of, of, you know, of where they, they, you know, they would have a, a problem with it because, you know, the movie doesn't have any gaps there. It's the flow of it is just cinematically just really perfection. And, um, you know, so for okay. some, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see that they were, they well, have any, yeah. Well, tell us yeah. all the, tell us all the, the logistics, where and how to, and when can people see it? Well, it actually opens um, this, this following Friday, uh, next week Friday, January 24th, um, and you can go to this website and um, for more information, uh, movietomovement.com, uh, and that's all one word, movietomovement.com. And um, actually on there, uh, they do have a um, special sort of campaign that we're that we're doing there on movie to movement, and basically um, we're asking uh, churches and youth groups and um, whoever whoever can get the most people to go to this movie as possible. We're trying to get you know trying to say you know pre- please bring 25 people to this movie. Um, there is a number to call to get group tickets, and I can give you that number. Um, it's 310-488-6003. And um, they, they ask that everyone call that number um, for those big-ticket uh, groups, uh, uh, items there, for, uh, you know, for getting those youth groups or church churches, um, to this movie, um, we just want to pack the audience for that first weekend um, so mm-hmm. that it has a big, you know, just, a, you know, comes out strong for that weekend. And um, and on the on the website, too, uh, there's flyers that can, uh, that anybody, you know, youth group, pastor, a pregnancy mm-hmm. center, church, it, they, we can go on there and print it out um, and okay. uh, and put it out better churches just to get the word out. Um, and uh, and also um, the other thing that they ask that we that everybody do is just for, to promote it on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can get the the link. Um, you can go on movietomovement.com and get any information and, and go from there and just post it and post it and talk about it. 
um, and uh, get people interested, and that's the main thing. Um, but I would I would just take you know a friend to the movie, take uh, take your whole family, you know, uh, take your youth group. It's it's going to be it's going to be really um, eye opening and powerful, and um, it really moved me. And I, you know, I think a lot of people think, you know, why should I go see a pro life movie? You know, mm-hmm. if I'm pro life or whatever. Well, is it's it is like, it really is it really billed as a pro life movie, or is it a movie with all these great actors? that has a very strong message that, I mean, I think there's a stigma that it's a pro-life movie, meaning it's a, right. you know, it's a movie yeah. that's about a particular subject. Right. And I think the hard, the hard thing is it, it is, you know, it's, it's like we do have these movies that have that pro-life message in there and, and it is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thrown out there that it's, Hey, this is a pro-life movie, um, but I, I think that's that is on one hand, you know, putting a bad stamp on it um, to say the other, you know, just the Christian community at large who, you know, is kind of uh, you know hesitant on on that, um, but. Um, I I think. I think that it really speaks to everyone. And and although it is, um, you know, it it is a pro-life movie, I mean, there's no way I can get around saying that it isn't, Um, but but it is a movie in itself. So, you know, I mean, I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but I, you know, I have no, I I, I know there's going to be hesitation on the part of someone saying, well, you know, I don't want to see a movie because it's, you know, considered pro-life. But I think there's so much more to the movie itself than than pro-life. So I I kind of see what... Okay. I know what you were saying. (laughs) All right. um, Well, everybody, uh, if you have a chance to see the movie, pick up tickets. Uh, it does have a very all-star cat lineup of actors in it, and so I can't say anything about uh, the quality. I think the quality, I think you've convinced us that the quality is going to be top-notch, like you said, and it's worth seeing. I'm excited about seeing it, so I recommend that everybody just check it out. If nothing else, check it out, and hopefully uh, people will have discussions surrounding this movie. It can advance the discussion, it can advance the, the topic. We certainly would promote people talking about the pro-life issues that are raised by this movie. So I I am excited. I would love to see this, and I, I'm excited for next week. We're going to go watch this. And thank you, Jen, for coming on for, to talk about it and give us such a great description. And, you know, thank hopefully you. Nation, is, it op- is it opening nationwide? It is. All across it's the going to be nationwide. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Awesome. January 24th. You know what I did? I, I did see uh, Vanessa Hudgens on Jay Leno talking about that. So it's going to yeah. be a big deal. So, hey, you don't want to get – you, you want to be on this bandwagon, everybody. It'll be very yes. – it'll be worth it. Okay, thanks a lot so much for coming on and sharing with that, uh, us with that. Um, and I'll see you at the movies. Yep, see you there. 
All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Bye-bye. So, Bye. everybody, uh, if you have a plans next Friday, please listen to the program and then go see the movie. And, and the program is PLFR. And then go see the movie. So um, we have one more segment to go, and I'm excited to. And I'm going to talk about this. Is like it's it was supposed to be our hypocritical headline, but it it is so it collided. And I love that word. It collided with the stupidest thing ever. So we're going to talk about it as a hypocritical headline that is also the stupidest thing ever. And the news is that today. President Obama promises that the NSA won't violate your personal privacy. I promise. I pinky promise. Uh, by talking about how the programs that the NSA are running to tap your phones, tap your Internet providers, to look at the material that you're looking at, uh, tap your cell phones, tap your computer. Uh, I, you know, I really, really remember when – a lot of these accusations came out against the Bush administration that people were going to the Patriot Act, going to look at what kind of books you check out of the library. And that was supposed to be a big deal. Well, if that was a big deal, then what is tapping your phone going to be? A big deal? Suddenly it's not a big deal to this administration. But his solution is not that the government will do less spying but more, as in more government will be established to try to police itself. Well, now you ask what this has to do with PLFR. Well, yeah, good question. Very interesting that this whole controversy centers around the word privacy. It centers around the word privacy. And now I love it when I see liberalism colliding with itself because Roe v. Wade was decided on the declaration of a constitutional right to privacy. privacy. Therefore, abortion, you know, you can make that, that slippery slope, you know, so easily. But now, right. the very concept of privacy is being eroded away constitutionally. Right. So what will a so-called constitutionally protected right to abortion be if the very constitution that protects it is violated and overturned. I, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I can, I'm looking at it and I see two trains running rapidly toward each other. And it's just a matter of time before they're going to crash. And, and this is the yep. type of crash that I find very amusing, idea-wise. I don't know what kind of ripple effect it's going to have in society. I really hope that it turns out to be that the government will back off when everybody gets so angry about having their their information collected by the government. Well, they're already collecting it. Everything they put on, put on Facebook is being monitored, um, right. and that information gets siphoned off to government agencies. It has it has ticked off a lot of people who own these social media sites um, because they go too far, you know, but at the same time they're complicit. So, you know, whoever, what's Mark, uh, whatever the guy's name who owns Facebook. Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg yeah. Oh, Mark Zuckerberg is completely in the tank about this, but he's not – 
he doesn't let the NSA run his program, but when the minute they do, he's going to start complaining. Sucker. Mark. Yep. Okay, you know, I was tempted to say something, but I won't. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and, you know, and so I, and this is kind of halfway amusing. It's halfway frightening, too. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see this collision, and I, I love it when liberal policies start running up against each other, trying to destroy themselves. Uh, the unfortunate thing is they probably will take the rest of the country with them. So that is the stupidest thing ever. It's also the hypocritical right. headline of the day. And uh, so are you going to go see the movie? Give me shelter. I will be in Tampa, so I will probably go see it. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we're going to end the show with some music. See you guys next week. I've had a blast tonight uh, just talking about these things. And capping it off with the movie and the stupidest thing ever, it's best thing ever. That ought to be yeah. category. So have a good night, Thomas. Have a good night, everybody. Come back and join you us too, on the Pro-Life Fridays Radio. All right, good night. Good night. Side by side